When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Live from the 6th and Peabody studio and across the OutKick network, this is OutKick 360 with Jonathan Hutton, Chad Withrow, and Paul Kuharski. Out of the gates, ready to go. OutKick 360 is back. Monday edition is here alongside Chad Withrow and Paul Kuharski. I'm Jonathan Hutton from 6th and Peabody with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Today, the uh, the only show that the three of us will be together in the same room. I, don't, I mean, that's good and bad. I mean, we're, we'll be t- together on the show moving forward throughout the week, but just in different cities. Gentlemen, here's to a busy and fast-paced week, ready to go. What's up? We're going to be a little bit of everywhere this week, boys. We are here in Nashville at our 6th and Peabody studio today. Hutton and I are heading to New York City, the Big Apple, Paul's former city, for the show the next three days. Paul's headed up to Indy for the Combine. It's going to be a fun week on the show. Yeah, looking forward to it. I hate driving to Indianapolis, so I've got that hanging over my head. You know, guys know what a great night driver I am. You missed a great um, opportunity to somehow convince Corey. Corey is our, our radio yeah, and uh, video tech that's going on this trip. Uh, he likes to advance. He likes to get there early, and he's already on his way. You missed a great opportunity to just get him to stay an extra three hours, and then that that man... He would get you there in about two and a half Initially, hours. Initially, it sounded like that was the plan, and uh, then all of a sudden, he got fired up. He got fired up to go early, so he must have heard of what a great passenger I am. By great, you mean someone who just sleeps. I mean, if you if you like to listen to your own podcast and your own music and have someone sleep in the car, you are the perfect passenger. I know. This could have been great for Corey, but now I've lost those three and a half hours. But you had the. I mean, you, so he took off. Now, I mean. He took off now. I feel like he should have left at like 8 a.m. if he was getting there in advance. He couldn't have waited the three hours now? Listen, I don't know the guy that well yet. So uh, who am I to dictate his I would have made schedule. sure to make that plan. Hey, Corey, we're going to the same place. Let's sync this thing up. Well, we can go at the same time. He's going up to work on Dockage's home studio. Dockage, Dockage, Dockage. It's all about yeah. Dockage. All about Dan. Danny Dockage. Yeah, I, I was on, I was on it's Dockage like this morning. It's not like it's Dan Tober or whatever the hell. January. <laughs> January. January, yeah. October's coming in a few months, though, Paul. <laughs> a, just wait. It's going to be great. There's a Howard Stern month in October that, that Paul's referring to yeah. there. <laughs> um, so <laughs> yeah. so the, uh, the, he's headed up to work with uh, on Dockage's home studio, and I was on Don't At Me this morning uh, with Dan Dockage, and he, of course, started the show uh, by referencing the Indianapolis's star, uh, Indianapolis Star's report about his contract extension in with Indianapolis. Us. <laughs> With his uh, his radio station there, and he, you know, we were named in the in the report it about Dockage signing extension. Yeah, saying that he does a morning show with work, Outkick working for Outkick three hundred and sixty, and not just Outkick. And I said, look, uh, he he, go, he wanted my thoughts on. It. I said, Dan, look, uh, the Indianapolis Star, they get things right. That's what they're known of. <laughs> yeah. They're known for. That. I, I'm going by what they reported here, and I, I said, welcome aboard. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it'd be a little cramped at this desk, but two bald guys will have to space it out right yeah. for the, gl- the glare. Uh, when uh, I, don't, I don't know. When the glare's coming in just right off that, <laughs> he and I could really bald some people. We, we follow all journalism with a capital J, and if they said it, it's true. They said so, it. 
Welcome aboard. Welcome yes. aboard. Dude. We have Big a morning show. We now have a morning opening. Yeah. Well, we have a morning <laughs> opening. Our show's in the afternoon, but suddenly there's a morning version of the show that's just hosted by Dan Dockich. This also caught my eye this weekend. Speaking of Dan Dockich, I'm watching a lot of college basketball over the weekend. A lot of it. And I see Jeff Goodman, who's one of my favorite follows, who's with Stadium now, uh, formerly of ESPN, I think CBS at one point also, yep. um, who subtweeted Dan Dockich. During the Michigan State game. And I'm looking for the exact tweet. About his hatred or feud with Michigan State from a few years back or something no, else? No, he says, um, and I, I'm trying to find the exact wording. He says, it was great, it was refreshing to watch a Big Ten game with an analyst who doesn't make everything about himself. Oh. On, on ESPN. Shot. So I saw that and I'm like, this is clearly about Dan Dockich. Not because I think Dan always does that, but because... Dan is the missing link here who was part of the Big Ten coverage for ESPN for a while. And he gets crushed over it. And then to Goodman's, Goodman's defense, he comes back and says, look, guys, I wouldn't subtweet Dan Dockich and says his name, but the guy blocked me a couple of years ago. <laughs> <laughs> so I laugh because I remember us having this conversation about how Dan, apparently, I think Jacob Swanson was telling us, right he just name. went on a, or D Dylan Taylor told us this, he just went on an unblocking spree. No, we where asked he him unblocked everyone. We asked him about so it. So maybe was, Jeff doesn't know that he's been unblocked because of the purge that Dan Dockage went through recently. Maybe it was a part of January. I don't know. I'm blocked by some people. I think I could still write their handle. It's just not visible by him. And you certainly could still type out his name. I mean, Jeff Goodman tweets a lot. <laughs> I'm still rolling down trying to find the tweet from Saturday. Got to start bookmarking. It was That's a a, lot. A, a solid sports weekend. Um, we'll, we'll get to the the college hoops in a moment. Locally, uh, Nashville again uh, to me they they raised the bar with, with with every big event in the city. And uh, credit to the city, credit to the Preds and the NHL. They made the the outdoor stadium series look massive here in town. Um, and I, we said leading up to it, there was not a lot of buzz with this with this game here here in the city. But I thought when I saw the the aerial views and I heard reports and, and saw people reflect on their experience at the stadium, to me that that's a sign that Nashville is more of a pro sports city than ever before. The fact that you have a massive event and there's not a lot of buzz leading up to it for for what's a one off. By that I mean I hope they come back and do it again but one off in a season or in a calendar year where you know it's not going to be back for a while. I mean, am I wrong in thinking there, there were not a lot of people talking about this and then all of a sudden you look up and there's 68,000 fans in attendance? Yeah, I mean, I think you're right. It wasn't – maybe the city's to the point where you don't need a lot of buildup to an event. It just goes without saying. It looked saying. great. Fan, um, fantastic the job. The one thing that I thought uh, – I, I agree with you on all of that. I thought the center ice logo – like during the second period, looked like it, it mush. Was, yeah, it looked like yeah, they had it all washed out. I think by then. So you're right. I was downtown on Saturday afternoon, uh, walking around downtown. I saw a lot of Tampa Bay Lightning fans, which I heard from people that they were shocked at the amount of Lightning fans in that building. Hutton, you had previewed it, saying if this were if this was Chicago or Detroit or a traditional team, it would be a, it'd be half and half Easily. in that stadium. Easily, if it were those fan bases. But people saying it wasn't half and half, but Tampa showed out Strong a shot. lot better than people thought. They so won a couple that cups. goes back, though, to the draw of the city of Nashville. This is no surprise to any of us that live here. People, people will come if you put an event in Nashville. The weather was perfect for this event. 
And what I say is, you don't want a day like today in Nashville where it's going to reach 60 when you're doing a winter classic-esque outdoor game for hockey. You don't want it to be crazy warm in February. I thought the weather with the overcast skies all day, people out and about getting ripped before they're going to the game on Broadway, when I was walking around Broadway, perfect atmosphere for an outdoor game like this. I also turned that game on and immediately thought, I regret what I said on Friday saying, that this does nothing for me when I see that setup and those pictures of the ice in the middle of the football field at Nissan Stadium. I thought it looked great. I thought the production level, everything on television was great. The moment that I say, boy, I really wish I was there, and I misspoke when I said this doesn't look like a great event because it clearly is a great event on television, I get people responding to me saying, sound system sucked. They used speakers on the field where you couldn't hear anything in the stands the, the entire time for some reason. And you get the same complaints about Nissan Stadium service. <laughs> Concession lines were awful. Getting into the stadium was awful. Um, again, I, I'm not going to take a few comments to me saying that, but these are people that go to events at Nissan Stadium all the time. I didn't have uh, a lot of complaints pointed at me. The one person did say, who do I complain to about uh, line issues at Nissan Stadium? And somebody said, Paul Kuharski. <laughs> uh, Send photos here. I, I just don't know. Like, I don't go to enough stadiums regularly to know if, you know, there's going to be lines everywhere you go at some point, right? I mean, I don't think it's unique to Nissan Stadium. There's lines and there's a lot of people in the building at different times. I don't know if you're going to the right concession stand. Maybe the concession stand one over, there's no one in line. I don't know. So without being there, I, I can't tell. I'll say this for someone who was just a, I'm watching on television the whole time, pregame game. It looked incredible. It looked like one heck of a party at Nissan Stadium. So well done by everyone that put that event together. There's going to be some criticism about the bro country aspects of the pregame, but like it or not, this is Nashville popular music right now. That is what you're going to get. When they had friend of the show, uh, the band Lit, they also performed that, nice. that evening um, during one of the intermissions or something of that sort. So uh, I thought that was cool to see. Well, um, Dirk's Bentley, Miranda Lambert, yeah. you know, the first intermission yeah. that they're playing that. I'm, I'm speaking mostly about Walker Hayes and people complaining about Walker Hayes in the buildup. I, look, I, I thought they made it big. and, and Oh, and Dustin Lynch. That, that was, was the guy who marched out, cool. right, to open the whole ceremony. Yeah. He's the guy who walked out of the locker room. Yeah. Curious. Uh, so David Reed loves not him. a lot of talk about that event, but it was big. People cared. There's not a lot of talk about the Major League Baseball lockout. And today is quote unquote deadline day, according to the owners. And quite frankly, guys, I'm not sure if America even cares. So yesterday there was some enthusiasm from people who do care about there being potential for stuff to happen today. Now there was a two and a half hour lunch. That doesn't suggest uh, things are moving fast today. Um, yeah, I don't. I mean, most of America doesn't care. Um, I, I'm saying you know, the I, games I don't know aren't going to be missed until you know for three weeks. But so. I'm not even sure if they move back opening day that that causes some ripple effect with with baseball fans. Even I'm, I'm talking about the average fan. I I don't think people want to know about the day to day operations of this lockout. And if we, if we remove ourselves and look back at the last one, back in the 90s, this was a daily headline. And yeah. right now, it's just not. I mean, it's back page material. Well, there's a lot of nuance to it also that I think yeah. most... I, I mean, I'm a baseball fan, and I don't really care about uh, 
the the arbitration uh, and the no lines in arbitration. But I, I don't think I, I guess what I'm saying. I don't think people even believe them when they say today's the deadline, right? Like I, I, it shouldn't. Here's, be. But here's something Jamison Tayone, uh, the pitcher, said is like. It's just a fact that the owners who are doing the locking out here know there's an actual deadline after which they stop making money where they right. can collect enough gate revenue and enough playoff money when they get the season in that that's actually the break dead date for them. And it's nowhere near the start of the season. Well, now it is time for the owners to give some more because everything I'm reading about these negotiations, the players put out there, and this is how negotiations work. They put out there something that they knew they weren't going to get all of it when they initially made their proposal. What bothers me in this is it took the owners 43 days after the lockout started to give the original proposal. So they took a long time over the holidays before they gave them the proposal to get this thing started where the Players Association the whole time really wanted to meet and hammer something out. Um, I've said this before, I'll say it again. You're not going to get a lot of sympathy from the public when your average salary is $4.8 million from most average Americans. But this is now firmly on the owners to at least act like you care about certain issues because the players have given some. They were all against adding the playoffs, and now they've, they've met in the middle. They come back and say, okay, 12 playoff teams instead of 14. We'll, we'll do that. They're willing to give on some of these things. I'm not seeing much give at all uh, from the owners on anything other than minimum wage for Major League Baseball players. If that doesn't change people don't care right now when we're sitting here post NFL draft and we're in more of a summer malaise that's it and your favorite baseball team isn't playing it is going to be an everyday conversation about how much major league baseball is hurting the it's sport losing did we take anything from Derek Jeter stepping down today as CEO of the Marlins and giving up his 4% stakeholding in the team that timing is very odd on a day where there's a little bit of hopefulness that something could happen for him to give that up today seemed awfully odd. Well, it's a bad look for the Marlins. I don't know how any, any way else you can you can cut that pie. <laughs> I mean, they're terrible. Yeah. All right. They're they're classically cheap when it comes to players. And now you've got Derek Jeter basically saying, We don't have the same vision for the franchise. That screams to me as they want to continue to be as cheap as possible continue to make money. They don't care about winning. There are too many teams in Major League Baseball who do not care about winning. That's, that's just a fact. Hutton's Baltimore Orioles are one of them yep. right now. There are too many that they've, they've figured out the algorithm to make money, not spend a lot. Your gate doesn't really matter ultimately if you're still a part of the puzzle and you're revenue sharing every year. That's a problem. And Derek Jeter, good for him. What I'm seeing is he basically said, I'm not going to be a part of this. I'm putting my name and reputation on the line. If ownership's not in, you can have my 4% ownership stake and my CEO status, and I'll go somewhere else. And your gate can be good when the good teams come to town. The people are coming to see baseball from the other side. But Orioles well, do great when the Red yes. Sox and the Yankees are in town. You know never does great? The Marlins, who are dead last for a third straight year in attendance. Coming that's up, another problem with that franchise. College basketball is doing great. Some great atmospheres this weekend, and March Madness starts early. I mean, when you look at the top six teams in college basketball all losing, seven of the top ten teams in college basketball losing this weekend, what does it mean for 
the conference championships. What does it mean moving forward for the NCAA tournament? We discuss what happened this weekend next on Outkick 360. What an awesome weekend for college basketball. Outkick 360 rolls on across the Outkick network. Top programs found losses. Meanwhile, everyone seems beatable on the road. Hit us up on Twitter at Outkick360 and follow us there on social media. Um, Gonzaga, they lose on the road to St. Mary's, 67-57. Number one goes down. Arizona falls to unranked Colorado. That by a score of 79-63. Auburn loses on the road at Tennessee. And Purdue falls to Michigan State in what was a great finish, 68-65 the final. Kansas, Kentucky, and Texas Tech all fall as well. And again, uh, six of the AP top teams lost. Gonzaga is still number one because everyone around them lost. So how are you going to drop them in the seedings? Or in the rankings. Yeah, I mean, you look at Auburn and you think they deserve a, a dip and they get one one it, whole spot. It's remarkable how home court advantage in college basketball is superior to every other sport. And it's not even that close. It is so difficult to go on the road and win against a good team in college basketball. I mean, the line disparity of just being on the road, it sometimes can be 8 to 12 points difference. If you're at home versus on the road. It's funny. Um, this isn't a year where we saw, well, like in the NFL, home field turned into nothing. Let me get into part of that. This is not a positive for college basketball. Some of that's because the officiating needs to be better. And I do think that the home, their home whistle exists for a lot of teams and a lot of atmospheres. And that's just a thing that happens they take it over. more in college basketball. I think it's a little bit more of an emotional uh, environment when you've got a really good atmosphere somewhere. So... That's part of it, but those top six teams all losing, I don't think that's a knock on the top six teams or that anyone got it wrong or that they're overrated or any of that. It really speaks to the teams that beat them. When you go down the list, outside of Purdue losing at Michigan State, Michigan State's not that good. This is not a banner Tom Izzo team at Michigan State. Yeah, but they're safely in the tournament. They're a tourney team, absolutely. St. Mary's is a top 25 team. They're legit. I watched a lot of that game. May have placed a bet on that game also on the St. Mary's money line before well. it happened. So I'm watching that game late Saturday night. They are a really good basketball team. We know Tennessee. They've already beaten Arizona, Kentucky, now Auburn. Those are three possible number one seeds they've beaten at home this year in Knoxville. Go down the list. Arkansas. Arkansas is the hottest team in America. I mean, I'm putting Arkansas on a list of sleeper national champions right now. How good they've been playing. Baylor. They Baylor's win a close another. game. Baylor's the defending national, national champion. champion. I mean, it is unbelievable, uh, the quality of games. and wrote, The other one is Arizona losing at Colorado. Shouldn't have happened. That's the worst loss the of the outlier. weekend. Yeah, yeah. but every but, other loss was not a shock at all. There, there is In a, fact, some of them, the team that won, that wasn't the top 16, was the favorite. There is a, there's another tier of teams this year, to me, that can win the whole thing. Normally, I think there's a, there's a tier of teams that you feel like can legitimately go to the tournament and win the win it all. I think there are different groups, and that second tier, Chad, has now jumped up, and it's just a massive tier one. Because if you look at the upsets, it's not like a bunch of Colorados beat up on Arizona's this weekend. It was ranked teams going inside the top ten and leaving with a W. Let's let's look at the SEC as a test case here for your your theory here of the different tiers of teams and what we have right now. 
The SEC to me is fascinating going into tournament play because you have two teams right now that I think have sort of played their way outside of the bubble a little bit. And I'm talking about Florida and Mississippi State. Florida still has a chance. Uh, they, they play Kentucky in the season. They win that game. They win a tournament game. They're going to be in the NCAA tournament. Mississippi State, no chance unless they go on a big run in Tampa at the SEC tournament. But those six teams that are firmly in, and none of those six teams are below a six seed right now in the NCAA tournament, if I told you right now today that either Auburn, Kentucky, Arkansas, Tennessee, Alabama, or LSU could go on a run and go to the Final Four, that would not shock no, that's me. That's all believable. And those are the six representatives out of the SEC. Well, and let's, let's, There's let's, no unusual. conference that's better with unusual. the top six than what you see with those six teams in the SEC. And, and I think all the are top capable four, of a run. I think the top four in the SEC are the best we've seen yes. in decades. And they're a cut above. There's your tier system, Hutton, you talked about. Yep. The, those four, I mean, they're three games clear now of the teams behind them in the conference. Tennessee was terrific. Tennessee was – here's what was most impressive about Tennessee's win over Auburn. We've seen them shoot great against Arizona and win, shoot great against Kentucky and get hot and Not win. Not here. Tennessee is a team that if they're hot, they're going to beat anybody in the country. They're that good defensively. They didn't shoot well against Auburn. And Auburn's a and good defensive team. And they found a way – they're the best. They're the best in the SEC with field goal percentage defense. Yeah, but they still they still did not shoot the ball. Here well. is what impresses me the most about that win for Tennessee. They Auburned up Auburn. Bruce Pearl has dominated Rick Barnes by being the aggressor, by getting offensive rebounds, by out rebounding Tennessee. Tennessee had twenty one offensive rebounds this game and plus twenty three in rebounding margin for that game. They did what Auburn does to people to them. In this game. And, and that was what was most impressive. And it was another fantastic atmosphere, both in Knoxville and Fayetteville. Those two places, and I'll throw Auburn in there also for big games, they are separating themselves. We all know about Rupp Arena, but those three atmospheres are, are really separating themselves from the rest of the conference for home court advantage. And this is an Auburn team that's now 3-3 three and three in their last six. And then, granted, they've, uh, they're, they're playing those top four teams that we're, we've been discussing that is uh, legitimately championship level type uh, per, uh, type caliber. Um, Tennessee won with their guard play and won on the boards, but also with their defense. They, they weren't shooting lights out, but Auburn had three turnovers at halftime. They turned it over, what, nine or ten times in the, in the second half. They only put up like 24, 25 points in the second half. Uh, Tennessee's defense locked down, and it, it was a tight game, but... I mean, early early second half, Auburn had what a eleven point lead in that game. Yeah, it was it was an eleven point game with about seventeen minutes left in the game, and then they flipped it. There was a twelve minute stretch where Tennessee outscored them. I think it was thirty to ten, and took a ten or eleven point yeah. lead, and that was that was the deciding part of the game. They so coasted. this tournament's not in the middle of SEC country by any means. We know who travels well and who doesn't, but. What's up, everyone? It's Nick Wright, and I got something exciting to talk to you about today. Angie, your ultimate destination for getting all your jobs done well. Now, Angie isn't just your average home services marketplace. It's a game changer. With over 150 million homeowners served and a network of over 200,000 skilled pros, Angie has experience and expertise to tackle any project with ease. Whether you're looking to spruce up your backyard or undergo a major home renovation, Angie's got your back. And their pros are locally based, 
off and running small businesses right in your community. And here's the best part. Angie makes the process seamless from researching and comparing pros to scheduling services at your convenience. Angie's user-friendly platform puts you in control. So why settle for anything less than perfection when it comes to your home? With Angie, you can trust every project will be completed with the utmost care and professionalism. So get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today to discover why homeowners across the nation are turning to Angie to get all their jobs done well. But to, to now go play neutral court in Tampa, maybe as a precursor to neutral court in the tournament, with home court meaning so much, maybe the tournament's more up for grabs than ever in terms of Potentially. Uh, evening things out and flattening some of these these spreads and, and taking away this massive home court advantage. Well, it's sure. anyone's guess. I mean, once you get on you know neutral sites, NCAA match-ups. tournament, it's matchups, but even SEC tournament, who knows? Look, Auburn's got a game at Mississippi State, and Hutton, you mentioned it. They're 3-3 three and three in their last six. They could lose that game. If Auburn loses that game, Tennessee should beat Georgia, mm-hmm. who's the worst team in the SEC this week. Then they host Arkansas. Arkansas. They're going to checkerboard TBA in that game to try to create another big atmosphere. If they beat Arkansas, Tennessee holds the head-to-head against Auburn now. So Tennessee would be your SEC champ and your number one seed if that happens, if Auburn drops one. The issue is Auburn's got the weakest schedule remaining. They go to Mississippi State. They host South Carolina to close out the season. Either way, those four teams are getting the double bye in Tampa. So best four we've seen in the SEC in a decade-plus – I think you have to go back to the the Pearl, Coach Cal, Billy Donovan era to find a better top four in the Southeastern Conference. And I, I still think this holds. They've combined, the top four teams combined have lost one home game. It's crazy. I mean, and Arkansas is at a huge advantage in this because they got pretty much everyone at home in that rotation. So Tennessee lost at Kentucky and at Arkansas, for example. Kentucky lost at Tennessee and at Arkansas. Arkansas only has to go to Tennessee to finish the season on Saturday. And that's their one away game against that the, Meanwhile, they've the already, four pack of teams. They, they, the won, they beat Auburn already at home. They just beat Kentucky at home. And so now they, if Tennessee's going to remain unbeaten, they've got to, uh, they got to take care of Auburn at home, or excuse me, Arkansas at home. And look, you're really nitpicking to try to separate one of these teams over the other. They're all really, really good and have a chance to go deep in the tournament. Those four at the top of the SEC. Auburn has one thing, though, those other teams do not have, and that is someone who is completely unguardable. Jabari Smith can get his shot whenever he wants it, and he is different than everyone else in the, in the country right now. He is a six foot eleven spot-up shooter who can shoot over anyone and can get to his spot. You can make it difficult on him, but Tennessee made it very difficult on him throughout the game on Saturday. Still had 27 points in that game. He's a tough cover for anyone. He, but his support staff, He's the number one pick in the draft for a reason. His support staff wasn't good enough. I, I don't, there, are, there are players on all those other teams that can take over a game. J.D. Note at Arkansas. Kennedy Chandler Note's great. at Tennessee. There are players who individually can get hot and do something, but you can do things to limit them. I think Jabari Smith, you can make it harder on him, but there are times he had a couple shots on Saturday where Tennessee's got two guys on him or they got a guy jumping in his face 
and at six foot ten, he just rises and shoots over them and drains a three. But Not the, much you can do with that. But with, but with him, you can have him do everything and still beat Auburn. Auburn, number one, they're not going to shoot the three. No, nope. they're, they're horrible. They're, they're like 273rd in the country uh, behind the arc. Just not a good tournament quality. Yeah, and, and you know, look, I, I, I like the way they play. They can keep games close. They also blow leads. And I think that's a, that's a huge detriment to them going into tournament play. Extremely talented. Meanwhile, Kentucky... Kentucky routinely always makes their matchups a game in the end. Arkansas busted out to that. It was like a 13-point lead in the first half. They came out, and that crowd was pumped, fired up. And I thought, man, this may be a boat race. You know, this may be Tennessee at Kentucky type uh, type of a, a final score. And it was anything but. Those two teams combined for like 83, 85 points in the second half. And meanwhile, you've got the rest of the SEC playing in the 40s and 50s for the most part uh, before they break it open with fouls and uh, some big threes down the stretch. Kentucky's the opposite. You, you run and gun with them. And because of that, I still look at them as the favorite in the conference, uh, my clear-cut favorite, because of the fact that it doesn't matter how much they're trailing by, they're going to get back in it. They, they have streaks much like you would find in the NBA. So one complaint about that game. And I liked almost everything about it. What in the hell was going on with the shark costumes from the students at Arkansas in that game? If you can't easily Google search something and, figure and it out. give me the full meaning for something other than, for those that don't follow Arkansas social media, this is the Sharkensaw movement. <laughs> Why? The Sharks was the defense for Ole Miss, Miss. The Land Sharks. And I'm watching... Blue and white Kentucky-colored sharks in the student section for Arkansas in this big game. What in the hell? Why? I don't understand things like that. That bothers me. You've got a great home atmosphere. You've got all this going your direction. And I'm getting blown up on text watching the game from family members and friends saying, do you know? You work in sports. Do you know what Sharkansaw is all about? Do you know why they're dressed like sharks? I have no idea. First, I had heard of it. And every time I search it, all I can find is, oh, it's, it's in reference to Sharkansaw. Okay, great. What is that in reference to and why? Sometimes you, uh, it's hard to blow it on it, social media. It, like it was that. like a fraternity uh, pledge initiation rite is what it looked like in the, in the fans, in the stands. The uh, Arkansas, though, I mean, what, 13-1 to their last 14. They have wins over Tennessee, Auburn, and Kentucky during that stretch. They remain unbeaten against the top 25 all season, um, regardless of home or, or road, and they're finally getting healthy. You know, they're, they're, they're healthy now compared to where they were towards the middle, middle portion of their schedule, and they're the hot team now going into the postseason. Arkansas at one point in December and January had lost five of six, including a home SEC opener to Vanderbilt, and I thought they were dead at that point, and they have been a completely different team from that point on. They didn't have a very difficult non-conference schedule, so they had some bad losses while they were getting healthy. That's the one area where if Tennessee doesn't lose to Georgia on Tuesday night, that Tennessee is unlike, I think all but, yeah, there's only five teams in the country that don't have a single bad loss. What I mean by that is any loss outside of quad one. All seven Tennessee losses are to quad one teams. They don't have a single bad loss on their schedule. Not one blemish. Arkansas has a few of those early in the season. Um, that could be a separator for the two, but Tennessee's got to take care of business at home against Arkansas. 
Because Arkansas has got a Please, chance to sweep, to sweep Tennessee. Yeah, whatever that is. They got a chance to sweep Tennessee on, on Saturday and end their perfect season at home. How, uh, by the way, someone should uh, should reenact the, the McIlwain fake That's what I was photo thinking. with an Arkansas fan uh, for that Tennessee well, matchup. Okay, then if you're going to do the shark thing, make it Arkansas colors even. I mean, you're dressing up like a shark. We can go ahead and fib on the actual color of a shark too. It was Kentucky colors. <laughs> So the first thing when I Googled it was shark is many name. people were confused why Kentucky fans were in the Arkansas student section because they looked up and saw nothing but blue and white. But it was Arkansas students dressed in blue and white as sharks and their team, if you didn't know this, they're the Razorbacks, which are pigs. Very confusing. Paint the sharks. These things probably the make me unreasonably angry every time I see them. But Would I, you have if I'm the AD at Arkansas, I have a real problem. Would that being the fan movement for the game? Would you have settled for hog-colored sharks? That's what I said. Make yeah. it red and white. Make it Arkansas-colored sharks. Flesh-colored. Flesh-colored sharks. I mean, something. So I, I won't say I was angry. I was upset with CBS. Uh, the majority of the country cut away. I can't believe this. The majority of the country cut away from overtime between Oklahoma State and Oklahoma to go to live tip-off of Kentucky and Arkansas. And I, I went down and, and uh, refilled my water and came back upstairs, and I'm watching tip-off. I'm like, wait, there were, there were like, you know, three minutes left in overtime here. What, ha what happened to this game? And they sent you, not to like CBS Sports Network, they sent you to the website to live stream the remaining uh, overtime minutes of Oklahoma, Oklahoma State. Now, if you're in that region, you're still – you're with that game live because I did. I got online and, and was streaming that game to watch the finish, which was awesome. Uh, but they're saying like, hey, as soon as this game ends, we're going to send you Kentucky, Arkansas. I'm like, uh, trust me, man, most of the country's already there. And meanwhile, one of the best games of the weekend was sent online for that, uh, for that great finish between Oklahoma. Where, and they, you know, That's they're not that good, but they got make. a nice rivalry win over Oklahoma State. For a lot of people, by the time you make that change, you've lost half of that overtime that's remaining. Well, here's what really needs to be done with college basketball. They need to take a cue from college football in this. Not just that issue of leaving a good game for another game. Uh, they need more flex scheduling. I'm getting all pumped up about college hoops on Saturday, and I go back to college hoops on Sunday. CBS's national broadcast is UConn at Georgetown. Georgetown, America got to witness oh. Georgetown 18th straight loss, a school record. 18 straight losses. That is your national game. UConn at Georgetown. I get saying that could be a big game early in the year and circling that as a CBS noon start on a Sunday. You got to be willing to change. You got to be willing to have some flexibility there to add a different game in that instance because that is not what people want to see. I felt like I was watching a public execution of Patrick Ewing in that game with an 18 straight Surely loss. Surely they had a choice the to go with not. a different one. The only time I've seen a flex scheduled game on, I'll take Tennessee for an example, mm -hmm. on Tennessee's schedule all year was Auburn. They didn't have a time for it all year and didn't have a network. And they waited and waited and waited. And then they said two weeks out, they said 3 p.m. Central. Then eventually it was on ESPN. But there needs to be more flex scheduling in college basketball. I don't think we see enough of it. Georgetown, There's some of it that happens, but not enough. Georgetown doesn't need to be anywhere near TV. No, not right now. Coming up, the Dolphins wanted to be near Sean Payton. They They're reached near. out to the former Saints coach, but he was currently a 
the coach of the Saints, um, and they were denied access, the Dolphins. We'll, we'll discuss why the Saints, if they knew that Peyton was on the way out, why they didn't grant permission and then get something in return for the coach who wasn't going to coach for them next year. I have questions about this. That's next on Outkick 360. After firing Brian Flores, this was late January, the Dolphins picked up the phone and called New Orleans, called Sean Payton, or wanted to talk with Sean Payton about becoming their head coach, but the Dolphins were told, thanks but no thanks. Outkick 360 rolls on. This was in an effort to, to work out a deal to get Sean Payton as their head coach. This was after they had fired Flores, but before, this is the week before Flores filed his suit against the Dolphins and other teams, the league, um, and, and everything got started there. My question is, if you're the Saints, and you internally you would have known that Sean Payton was possibly not returning, and at that point you probably have a great idea he's not coming back, why not get something in return for the coach that's not going to be your coach anymore? They still hold his rights right now. So they would still have to be compensated something if Sean Payton wants to jump back in it. But I'm, I'm the last 12 hours or so since we saw this report, I'm trying to figure out why they wouldn't have accepted something in return for Sean Payton. Well, wouldn't a Payton ultimately told them uh, uh, that he, was, he wasn't going to coach in 2022? Don't you think that would be part of it? The other part of it is that the Well, they Saints, turned down the request. Yeah, yeah, so you could have got the conversation started. The other part of it is the Saints don't want him coaching anywhere, which is weird. Like, I, I'm with you. I'd rather have Get some, some compensation yeah. and let him coach somewhere. He's not on the schedule. In uh, They don't play head-to-head this year. Um, they don't play head-to-head uh, unless their schedules maybe match up in 2023 either. Um their schedules could match up if they if they finish in the same place in 2023, they could play. But Still, even that I mean, is not enough. This to, seems to, to me to be an example play. once again of where of where pettiness trumps good business. Yep. The Saints did not want to give Sean Payton what he wanted, which was an out in New Orleans and to go coach football somewhere else. They weren't going to give that to him in year one, and so they did something that wasn't in the best interest of their club, and that would have been. If Sean Payton doesn't want to coach your team, you can at least get something in return and he can go coach someone else's team. To but me, I, this is think, pretty clear of what happened here. But I think there are a couple steps, right, Hut, that you would allow them to talk. Um, but in allowing them to you talk, would, you allow you might yourself to, to talk with them. Well, keep right. in it's mind. It's a negotiation about getting something in return. The, the Raiders, whenever they traded John Gruden's contract to the Bucks, they got two first-rounders and two second-round picks out of it. They had four picks and two picks each of the first and second round, plus plus $8 million in cash. Which was a way better deal for the Bucks at that stage because the Bucks had a championship-caliber roster. Gruden went and delivered and then had an ultimately lesser roster as a couple years went by because he didn't have those picks. Well, I guess I'm, I'm throwing that out there. Miami doesn't have a championship-caliber roster necessarily. But why they wouldn't have talked it through, I don't, I don't know. It doesn't yeah. make sense it's to not have it There's got to be an obvious bit. reason. I just don't know. I can't come up with it. And Tom you know? Brady was to be a part of this also. They wanted – and he's presumably the quarterback that was on the yacht for the meeting 
that they were going to coincidentally, uh, you know, have their yachts bump into each other, Stephen Ross and Tom Tom Brady, who's unnamed here, but everybody connected but what they, the dots. So the reports are with Brady that they were trying to get him to become a minority owner in the franchise. And if he ever chose to come out of retirement, he would be their quarterback. That was That's the report. Is The pitch to Brady this offseason has already been, would you like to become my minority owner of the Miami Dolphins. Well, and, the, in the terms report, of playing when you're a minority owner, that's complicated. That came up when Bud Adams was courting Peyton Manning, and you can't do it because it counts. You can't it, promise something to him. Well, uh, I, yeah, that may be part of it, but you can't have him play as a co-owner because the value of your ownership stake counts against the cap, which would blow up your cap because a 1% ownership is, but, but the, is think, more valuable than cap. I think the difference here, and it, it, again, I'm, I'm reading the, the, the early report on, on how Brady ties into this. I think the difference here was they were giving him the option of buying in, right? You would buy in as the minority owner. Right. And, and going back to the, the Manning recruitment, it was, hey, sign here, and I'm going to give you this in return. So if, if he did come in as a minority owner and then came back, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline to play he would have had to divest play reinvest well help me with this because this makes no sense to me this is from the pro football talk report the dolphins plan to pursue sean payton to be the coach and tom brady to be the starting quarterback okay great goes on to say but the plan was scrapped after brian flores filed his lawsuit against the league and the dolphins giants and broncos but the report goes on to say they reached out to the Saints, and the Saints declined to allow them to speak to Sean Payton before the Brian Flores lawsuit happened in the time between the vacancy and the lawsuit being filed. Well, doesn't the deal end at that point? It's weird that they go on to say the plan was scrapped after the Flores lawsuit, but oh, by the way, in the week leading up to the lawsuit, they were already, they said no. The Saints said no. Yeah. That's so that, the, the that's plan is scrapped at that point. You can't get them at that point. So that's a weird way to word the story in the report. And you also, so it's like they're trying to lump two or three different things in there all at once about why the Dolphins didn't go through with it. I think they didn't go through with it because the Saints wouldn't allow them to go through right. with it. And you also have to be careful with the, the way they report this Brady news because while I don't disagree, that the, the Dolphins want Brady to be their starting quarterback. I mean, they wanted it years ago, a couple years ago. But they also just can't go sign him. Because the Buccaneers still hold his rights there, too. You would have to compensate Tampa Bay for the, the rights to retain Brady when he chooses to come out of retirement. And you would have really emptied your coffers, your, your, your draft pick compensation coffers, between getting Peyton and getting Brady. You really, uh, we, we think that we've seen the Rams empty out. The Rams emptied out number one picks. Rams still draft a lot of players. Uh, I don't know what Miami would have had left after those two deals. Well, if they still want to lure Brady out of retirement and make him a Dolphin and do whatever with him, that's still on the table. I mean, if they're willing to negotiate compensation for the Saints and they were willing to negotiate compensation for the Bucks for Brady, now they just have to negotiate compensation to the Bucks for Brady 
to come out of retirement and play for them. But we think that's of all the places that Brady could uh, I have no finagle idea. a deal. I don't think going to play for Mike McDaniel at the start of his career with no a not idea. great team. I'm only saying that is on the table if they want to the pursue AFC it. is where he'd want to go. Well, you want to go there if you're going to become the minority owner of the Miami Dolphins. Exactly. My only point is there's nothing in this report that is stopping them from pursuing that. Correct. For Brady. It's a very weird report in that way. There's about three or four different things being reported, but one doesn't make sense because the other happened first, ending the deal. Then they tried to add on. Well, then they decided we're not going to pursue it because of the Flores lawsuit. What? No. You're also viewing it as the, the same way we'd have, we would have viewed Tampa Bay or Denver whenever Manning chose the Broncos or whenever uh, Brady chose Tampa Bay. I mean, they instantly come in and change their franchise. Um Miami would look drastically different on the field next year with Brady because they would pursue the guys that he would so choose them to pursue. But There's no Ar- doubt in my mind. But Arians was a veteran coach and who was a coach in Denver at the time? John Fox. Arians also, though, and Brady, apparently, if you believe other reports and what people are saying, had some sort of falling out where Brady did not like the control of the offense that Arians had, yeah, the direction of the team. Yeah, and messed up game plans that uh, Leftwich and Brady Correct. put together. So from that perspective, I think Brady's going to be way more about surrounding personnel, which still really wouldn't make sense with the Dolphins necessarily, but surrounding personnel than coaching, as long as he's given the freedom he needs. That does back up uh, what Leftwich has said um, in public interviews, not that uh, Arians would come in and tear up game plans, that Leftwich and Brady would game plan. They would put everything together without Arians there. And the, these reports where the Arians would come in with a red pen, right. uh, and, and, and that's Mess a figure of speech that Arians is now saying, I don't even have a red pen. It's like, dude, it's a, it's a figure of speech. You come in and you, you mark out what you don't want or you add in what you like, and that's where the reports are that they didn't see eye to eye. Let me add, this is the perfect time if Miami's willing to negotiate compensation to bring Ryan Tannehill home and make that happen <laughs> in, re- in return for Tom Brady coming out of retirement to play for his buddy Mike Vrabel. But Perfect time to bring Tannehill if home. If the Dolphins are in, bring back. other teams are in as bring well. Bring him back. New quarterback now. He's a new quarterback. Bring him back. Headlines when we return, including the COVID stance in New York and Kyrie Irving. That's next on Outkick 360.